We are now at the end of 2020, the year that was going to offer us the opportunity to have 2020 vision. I guess it did. So much distress, so much heartache, suffering and loss. Yet at the same time, so many blessings, so much generosity and charity. This year has offered us a glimpse at all that's not so great in the world, but also a glimpse into what's amazing about our world and about humanity. On one side, there is so much faith, so much hope, so much trust in God and God's creation, trust in science and trust in people. On the other hand, there is fear and mistrust of everything. And I get it. We hate uncertainty. We live in a world where everything is predicted. The weather, the stock market, we can find anything on the internet and don't even have to decide what movie to watch because Netflix just tells us what to watch. And so uncertainty makes us uneasy. It fills us with fear. So we instinctively gravitate towards those who offer quick solutions and who give us answers and explanations to what's going on. Those conspiracy theories, they offer us certainty. But the world is not that neat and tidy. I dare say that not even God offers us certainty of the future. He only offers us certainty of his love and offer of salvation. This Advent and Christmas season, put your trust in God. Let him comfort you and sit with you in your uncertainty and let go of those conspiracy theories. That will give you clarity. I'm Deacon Pedro and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to an all new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. I am Billy Chen. And uh, Billy, so um, I was just, uh, as you heard, talking about conspiracy theories. What, yeah. what, do you, what do you think? You have a lot of friends that uh, believe these I, theories? You know, personally, I find conspiracy theory is very juicy. And I think that... <laughs> very juicy, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, and I, I think that it's, it's fun to think about that because, you know, I, I study in math and I uh -huh. study in um, in computer science. I'm a... I'm a webmaster, right? Yeah. So we, I like to think things in different angle. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And it's a good practice for you to practice critical thinking as well. Yeah. I think it's good, uh, but you hmm. know, it's it's tough. It's actually tough. I think is uh, to know the truth. You oh, know, yeah. and that's why I'm Catholic, right? I mean, no, I I agree with you, and I think that 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 to know the truth, you have to ask the right questions and yeah. be honest with the answers and it's okay to keep asking questions whereas i think conspiracy theories give gives you the answers too quickly is what yeah. i think um um but anyway and and that relates to what i'm going to talk about later in in the show with our featured interview so mark matthews is going to be with us today um from hollywood he's got uh, uh, some some things that might interest you, Billy. He wants to talk about technology, about 3D technology and virtual reality and stuff like that. Wow, so, Matrix. Um, <laughs> Matrix, yeah, exactly. So that's that's Mark Matthews, uh, our uh, tech techno geek in Hollywood uh, in about 10 minutes. Um, and then, Billy, you have a question about Christmas? Yes, he says conspiracy. No, 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 he's not. <laughs> the conspiracy of Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, we you know um, uh, Christmas is always uh, the busy moment for all the Catholic uh, mm -hmm. people, especially yep. you deacons, right? Uh, you need to serve, and I was a youth minister in a church, so we have a lot of activities, mm -hmm. but not this year, right? I mean, no. uh, yeah. So, 
Uh, the question is about Christmas mass, and uh, stay okay. tuned. Okay, yeah, that'll be good. And 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 uh, and you're right. A lot of people will not have Christmas mass this year. They're going to have to watch it yeah. on, online or on TV. Uh, thankfully, where I live in my parish, we still are are able to have mass, and we have like seven seven Christmas Eve masses so that we can fit as many people as possible. Yeah, because uh, we're limited to that thirty percent capacity. But I, I I recognize that probably a lot of listeners in the even in the United States do not have uh, mass. Um, so that's uh, that's difficult. Um, this book, I have a book here, Billy. Our, our listeners cannot see the book. It's called "Let Us Dream." And do you see who the author is? What you spy, Pope Francis? Pope Francis just put out a book. Um, wow! So you still have time to do that? He, I know, and <laughs> yeah, he it was written between June and August this year. So okay. it's all about his reflections on the COVID nineteen pandemic. So wow. Um, Pope Francis uh, got together with his biographer, Austin Ivory, um, and they, well, it's it's not co-authored. Pope Francis wrote the book. Ivory is kind of like the collaborator who helped helped him put together. The book yeah. is called, it's called Let Us Dream, The Path to a Better Future. Um, and it was written, like I said, in the, in the, this summer, in the midst of the pandemic. Um, and in it, the book explains why we should take this opportunity this, this COVID opportunity to make the world better, to make it safer, to make it fairer, to make it healthier. Um, so I think it relates to what we were talking about, about conspiracies, because, <laughs> because I think that in the book, the Pope is saying that it's okay to not always have the answers, that it's okay to, to live in uncertainty, but that that gives us an opportunity to uh, examine, examine life, to discern, to, to reflect and then to make choices that are going to make everything better. And yeah, God, just look at the, the title of the book, you know, let us dream let us that, dream. you know, think about that. It is this about hope. It's always about hope. If you don't have hope, you cannot dream it. Right. I mean, so is, yeah, I think it's full of hopeful stuff inside. It is. It is. And he's many times has said, we've heard him in many, many speeches talk about how important it is to dream and that young, young people should, should not stop dreaming or let go of their dreams. No, so old people I, too. I, I mean, no. and old people. Okay. Why are you looking at me when you said old people? No. Um, <laughs> yes. Old, old men, the scripture says old men will dream dreams. Um, so there you go. So we're going to be speaking. I would like to say that we were we're going to be speaking with Pope Francis about the book today, but the Pope was was busy. Uh, so we're going to settle for the second best. We're going to be speaking with Austin Ivory okay. in our second half hour. So Austin, Pope Francis' biographer, will be uh, joining us again today really in the program in our second Pope half Francis hour. Francis can be on the show. Yeah. So we'll be speaking with him in about. 25 minutes or so and then at the end of the program billy your favorite part of the show we're gonna have another new singer songwriter she's 18 wow, years old I keep having them she's 18 years old uh her name it? Is, yeah her name is miley asbill she's from ohio she was also one of the artists that uh participated in the be not afraid video mm -hmm. um so we're going to be meeting miley asbill at the end of the program and we're going to be listening to her music throughout. So why don't we start with a song? Yes. As we always do, Billy. Here's Miley Asbill with her single, We Are About to Fly.
about to fly. That was Miley Asbill with her single, We Are About to Fly. And we're going to be speaking with Miley Asbill in about 40 minutes. So I hope that you'll stick around for that. If not, just head over to slmedia.org and listen to our podcast right there. Now it's time for What's Good in Hollywood with our Hollywood undercover missionary, Mark Matthews. Hello, Pedro. Hello, welcome back. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be here. Yes, it's good. And you have some interesting uh, interesting uh, ideas to share with yeah, us today. Yeah, yeah, interesting ideas. You know, I, talk, I, I love talking about media and technology. And so uh, as I've talked a little bit about before, my background is in computer graphics. I mm-hmm. worked in research and development at DreamWorks Animation for 10 years. Um, and I, so I follow the field of computer graphics quite closely. And I thought it'd be kind of fun to share a little bit of geeky developments in the field with you. Okay. And it's the best, there's some interesting technology coming out, which I think could best be summarized as 3Ding all the things. And what do I mean by that? Imagine Uh that you could just wave your phone all around an object, miraculously making a, a 3D copy of that in your phone that you could share online. Okay. And we've always had... 3D scanning, but it always required very special hardware. And so now there's research coming out with artificial intelligence powered techniques that can finally do this with just the camera in your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, 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 know, you kind of think that, hey, you want to sell something on Craigslist, you could make this 3D model of it and sell it on Craigslist. So okay. that's cool. But then on top of that too, um, 
we've had virtual reality for many years, but we've never had the ability to see another person in it. You know, typically you'd put this headset on, but then that stops you from seeing the face of the other person. So VR was this lone solitary experience. Yeah. So Facebook actually has been doing some really good research on headset removal um, basically kind of making it like that when you put on this headset, you know, you would see the other person in this full 3D, in all their 3D glory, you know, all their facial expressions and, and everything like that. Uh-huh. And it, it's, it's sort of, it's really, it's, it's really impressive striking technology. It's almost like, you know, the holographic communicators in Star Wars. So, okay. yeah. No. So we, we've talked about VR for many years, but this sort of finally enables a social component to it that I think could really uh, increase its popularity. So I, I don't like to throw hype around, but I'm personally kind of very excited by some of this research uh, that I'm seeing. And I think we're going to see these kinds of technologies uh, in the coming years. Okay. And, and, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just not following where we're going. Where's the spiritual connection? Here? <laughs> yeah, where's the spiritual connection? So, I mean, hey, come on, I'm a geek. This is just cool technology, you know, technology for technology's sake. So, yeah. but I, there's maybe two angles on it. So the one is that I think one of the problems with technology is that it abstracts us too much, mm-hmm. um, that we just start seeing each other as sort of some disembodied entity that you argue with online instead of realizing that that's a complete feeling, thinking human person on the other end. Yeah. And my personal opinion is that the more we can make technology replicate the experience of being with someone in person, uh, the easier it'll be to rehumanize the person that's on the other end. And this metric telepresence, this sort of virtual person technology, I think brings us a step closer to that. And that's kind of very much in line with JP2's theology of the body, uh, that we were meant to know each other in person. And Uh so I think this makes it a much more personal experience. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Um, Can I just interrupt? So, but you're not, you're not suggesting that that's better than a personal, it's just in the absence of personal no, this is the second yeah. best that if you, yes, if you had the chance to see someone in person, I think that would always be better. But short of that, you know, I think this, I think this 3d virtual reality presence of someone would be better than a zoom call, which is, you know, just 2d. So I, I, you know, you could imagine a dystopian scenario where it works so well that we only ever use VR and never meet each other in person. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't have that kind of pessimism. I actually think, I think this could be, could be a good thing. So, so, so to, to, to humanize a zoom call. Yeah. To humanize a zoom call. I think maybe the key thing is, is that there's lots of unconscious decisions that we make or, or that we change our behavior when we're in the presence of someone versus just communicating yeah. say, with them, you know, through Facebook And I think that when we can see someone, so even I would say a Zoom call is better than just, you know, an email. Mm -hmm. But when we see someone, you know, those unconscious decisions, you know, they they work in our favor. It's like, oh, yes, that is Pedro. You know, I do see him. He does have feelings. I'm not going to say something mean to him. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I think that's, those are the kind of. Do you see, do you see a parallel with something like a, 
a, a Google device or an Alexa where you're actually talking to someone and Alexa responds. So I'm less likely to be rude to her because, you know, if it was a computer, I'd be like, ah, shut that thing off. Whereas with her, I'd be like, Alexa, uh, can you please turn yourself off? And I'm polite <laughs> with her because, but she doesn't have any feelings and she doesn't care. Yes. Absolutely. So actually I went, I was just at a mini conference about this. They called it synthetic characters and they pointed out all these examples in commercial technology that sort of prove that humans are much more likely to adopt a technology if it's somehow personal. And so, so Amazon branding her as Alexa was a very smart marketing choice. People just kind of like that. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that, that's, that's another whole, very interesting kind of rabbit hole to go down. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. So, so I'm, I'm just going to say that maybe, maybe what you're trying to tell me, I'm still uh, trying to find the spiritual, what you're trying to tell us is that God has created us for personal relationships. And in the absence of that technology can help us be, be more personal. Yes. Um, yeah, exactly. That, that especially at a time now with coronavirus where we're all isolated, you know, we're trying to, you know, make it a more real interaction. So video conferencing, you know, better than email or phone calls or text messaging, this would be kind of a whole extra step closer to a real personal interaction. Right. Okay. And I I wonder if that wouldn't help our kind of emotional connection with one another a little bit better too. Okay. Okay, very good. There you go. Mark Matthews, uh, technology helping us make an emotional connection with each other. Um, thank you, Mark. Uh, <laughs> thank you for sharing this one with us. Uh, what's good with technology? Um, thank you. And we'll talk to you next week for our Christmas episode. So uh, two Sounds weeks in great. a row. God bless. God bless. Thank you. What's good in Hollywood with Mark Matthews, our undercover Hollywood missionary. You can follow him at HU Missionary. Hey everybody, it's Hannah Schaefer and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. If you want to connect with us, you can email me, pedro at slmedia.org. You can also find me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook, on Twitter, and Instagram. Just look for Deacon Pedro. There's only one of me. Now it's time for... Just for Dummies. With Billy Chan, who has a question about Christmas. Christmas, yes. Um, so this is not only a question, it's also a complaint, okay? A complaint. So it's a complaint to the church, okay? okay. So <laughs> it's a joke, it's a joke, okay? It's a joke. Don't be too serious, you know, during this time. Yes. Okay, so um, so there is a uh, midnight mass, you know, yes. in, uh, I mean, it's a Christmas Eve mass, which normally is midnight, but, you know, some of the churches make it earlier, like 10 o'clock, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, the original idea is to have the mass midnight, just past uh, December 24th. Yes. So the question is this, why do we have a midnight mass as a youth minister? You know, he's so tired. And the thing is this, you know, we, we need to cover like midnight mass auto service and also the morning mass the, the next day auto yes. service so okay much that's a, that's work. A, yes it's a really good Catholic question Church. it's a really good question um i'm going to say that i'm not entirely sure but i think so i hope you're okay with my not answer answer um <laughs> there is a tradition that believes that jesus was born at midnight oh so because of that tradition I think that there's an idea that mass should be celebrated at midnight. It's similar with the tradition that the resurrection happened at midnight. 
And so, uh, but it's interesting because for the Easter vigil, we don't usually start it at midnight. We try to end at midnight. Yes. Um, uh, and that's a longer, a longer mass. Although there are some traditions that have the Easter vigil going all night. Um, wow. Now we don't do that with Christmas. What's interesting about Christmas um, is that if you look at the, at the lectionary, so the book that, sorry, not the lectionary. Yeah. yeah well, the lectionary has the readings, but also the missal. There's mm-hmm. a different liturgy for the Christmas vigil mass. Then there's a Christmas mass at night. And then there's mass in the early morning. And then there's the Christmas day mass. So it's, yes. there's actually four different and there's different readings and different prayers for all those masses. So I think that, that it reflects also the different hours of prayer. Um, and we do know that all solemnities have a vigil mass or, a, or evening prayer, which is the vigil of the feast. Mm-hmm. So that's why we have a, a vigil of Christmas, okay. which is the evening, the eve of Christmas. And then we have and we do the same with same with Easter, but we do it with all, all feasts. So that's kind of my roundabout answer as to why we do it at night and why we do it at midnight. Um, yeah, because- when you when you talk about that, you know, it, it, it makes sense because of we always say that uh, Jesus Christ is the star, right? So uh-huh. uh, so when we talk about star, it's always you you can only look at that bright uh, light at night. It's right? true. You know, it's so true. yeah, that 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 makes sense. Thank it's you. True. It's true, and I was even thinking about Advent and how, for half of the world, Advent takes place where when the days are getting darker and darker, right? Because there's more yeah. darkness. And so, so the Advent hope is is a hope that is hope in the darkness. And I think it's important to remember that Jesus was born at night. That we we believe that he was born at night. So it's that hope in the darkness that the light is born in the darkness, um, which is why the gospel of John starts with, you know, and the, the, the light scatters the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. Um, Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, when you see, uh, you know, when we always look for light, you know, in in the darkness, especially in this pandemic um, period, uh, I think it's, it's good to know. So I, I thank you. I think I am going to answer this to my friends as well. Yes, do that. All right. So we'll talk to you next week again, I guess, for our Christmas special. So, uh, yes, thank you. Billy Chan, the webmaster at slmedia.org. You can follow him at bjochan. Coming up in our second half hour, a featured chat with Austin Ivory about Pope Francis's new book, Let Us Dream. And we meet singer-songwriter Miley Asbill, so stick around. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. You wonder what Pope Francis was doing all summer when the world was taking a breather between the first and second waves of COVID-19? He was writing a book. In the crisis, the Pope saw many evils of our society more vividly exposed. At the same time, he saw in the resilience, generosity, and creativity of so many people the means to rescue our society, our economy, and our planet. Together with his biographer, Austin Ivory, Pope Francis outlines in his book, Let Us Dream, the way forward, the path to a better future. I have to say that I think that this is a must-read for Catholics and non-Catholics alike, for Francis lovers and haters alike. 
Let us dream is like a personal conversation with our Holy Father in which he explains what's important to him and what principles drive his papacy. To learn more, earlier this week, I spoke with Austin Ivory from his home in the UK. Austin, it's so good to have you back in the program. Welcome. Welcome to the Thanks, Pedro. Good to be back. So um, how did this book come about? Um, How was it written? It really comes out of Easter and lockdown. Uh, When you remember Pope Francis appears in St. Peter's Square on March the 27th as a kind of Moses guiding us through this dark night of COVID. And then Easter, where he's uh, really doing this very uh, powerful stuff about where is God in it all. And the fact that he set up a post-COVID commission in the Vatican, all of this led me to believe that he was really seeing this crisis in a very, very deep way. And I felt that we needed to hear more from him and that humanity at large needed to hear from him, particularly not just, as it were, the church or people who would normally listen to the Pope. So in April, I suggested it to him and I said, you know, how about it? (laughs) And uh, he said, uh, yes, but I'm going to need a lot of help from you, for which I took which I took to mean that, you know, we weren't going to be able to sit down together. We were both in right. and that, well, I would be involved quite a lot in the in the putting it together. So even though it's very much his book, uh, you know, it has a it has a role from me as if so, you like a te- technical support. Right. So but he's the author. He wrote it. It's his words is not Austin Ivory. Well, he, he's the author in the sense that everything in there is his, it's his ideas. Um, even when I helped to draft it, I was drawing mm-hmm. on things that he had said and written. So, uh, and he then would then revise the text. So, I mean, it's absolutely his, uh, his text, uh, but uh, I was, you know, he, he trusted me and, uh, and gave me the yes. freedom to help him put it together, which was an enormous uh, compliment. And, and It is, it is. He does trust you. Um, I was reading it and I was thinking, how is this it's a book? How is it different than an encyclical or an apostolic exhortation? He's saying a lot of the same things that he said in other documents. So what would you answer? How would you answer that question? How is well, it different? So one of the advantages of a, let's just call it a papal book. I mean, there really isn't a proper term for it, but it's a book that popes have done really mm-hmm. since uh, St. John Paul II yeah, sat down with the journalist and done a question and answer. And it's a different, I mean, obviously the Pope is still teaching. He's always teaching uh, because he's reflecting on the gospel and, 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 and every, but it's a different kind of a genre. It doesn't pass through the right. Vatican channels. It's not solemn authoritative teaching. Right. And the Pope himself can afford to be personal, intimate, informal. Uh, and so in that sense, it's uh, papal teaching, but it's a much more relaxed and personal kind of format. In this case, it's even more so because actually it's not an interview and that's just the way mm-hmm. things worked out. In it, the Pope addresses the reader directly. So even though it's called In Conversation with Austin Ivory, in fact, there is no conversation. No. There's not a question and an answer. Yeah, you're right. It didn't feel like a conversation, but it did feel very personal, um, especially when he reveals some very personal things about his own experiences. Um, Can we just quickly talk about how the book is organized in those three sections? Explain that. So there is a very uh, well-known, as it were, Latin American method of looking at reality, which is used particularly uh, in social justice questions. What do we do about this? So it's called See, Judge, Act. And it comes, in fact, from originally from the Belgian uh, cardinal Mm -hmm. of the 1920s, Joseph Cardine. But Latin America has really taken it on. 
Um, and Francis has kind of reformulated a bit as contemplate, discern, propose. Yeah. But whatever, however you call it, it's the same idea. You begin by looking at reality with the eyes of the disciple. So you look particularly at pain and, and, and suffering and where is, where is God, where is Christ speaking to us from the margins. And then the discernment comes really from saying, well, where is God in this? Where is the Holy Spirit acting? Mm -hmm. And where conversely is the enemy of human nature seeking to undermine that? And then with that clarity, you can then implement proposals for action, which help to take forward, as it were, the kingdom of God. So that's the method that's often employed in Latin American uh, church documents, which the Pope has himself employed a number of times. And so then he's specifically taking that method and looking at specifically the COVID experience, seeing the COVID experience, discerning through it, and then seeing where we move from it. The way I put it is that COVID is the moment that he's addressing. In fact, this is the first time a Pope has ever written a book Mm -hmm. in response to a crisis in humanity. Mm -hmm. So he's saying this is a moment in history, but it's not just about the COVID crisis in the sense that he sees the coronavirus crisis as revealing of all the other crises that we are also going through, but perhaps we haven't wanted to see or to speak about, just to give you an example, uh, the ecological crisis, Mm -hmm. the crisis in our economy with inequality, the alienation of people from politics, um, uh, arms trafficking, child hunger. Uh, In other words, where the world is crying out because Mm -hmm. of the way we have organized things. The coronavirus is a clarifying moment in that it helps to reveal those things. And it also accelerates a number of changes which were already underway. Right. And it also allows us the opportunity for what he calls that stoppage, or he, I think he even says we, we need a jubilee. So, so the, the pandemic gives us that, that time to discern. Um, um, he says a lot of things that he says in Laudato Si, in, in Querida Amazonia, and a lot, of, you know, a lot of the economic, his economic ideas or ideas about you know, the church's social teaching. But he brings up uh, a fascinating, for me, idea uh, that it comes from his studies on, on Romano Guardini uh, about forging that unity from tension in a way that makes differences fruitful. And I think that for a lot of people, that's very difficult to understand. Can you try to explain that to us? Sure. In a simple I mean, way? I, I think there are two areas of his thinking, which I, I think really are deeply him, and which in this book I invited him to say, you know, well, I think these are two areas where we need to hear more from you and we need to, you know, you, I'm not sure that we ever really understood what you mean by these two things. Mm-hmm. Um, what, one of them is is a part three, which is his idea of what it means to have a genuine politics of the people. Oh, yes. And in part two, which I'm sure we'll get to, but in part two, which is the discernment uh, part, um, he's really talking about the paralysis of our polarization and how we can move through that, how we can live with difference and tension. So the the background to this uh, is, of course, we live in a time of, one doesn't want to say unprecedented, but certainly in recent decades, unprecedented uh, division, where socially and in the church, we are just deeply divided tribally. Mm-hmm. And so w- what I'm inviting him to do, what he's doing in, in, in the book, is drawing on his own studies of uh, theologian called Romano Guardini, who published quite an obscure book back in the 1920s, which became the subject of uh, of the Pope of Jorge Mario Bergoglio's thesis. Mm-hmm. And it is actually on how we can uh, uh, bring tensions, what are called polar opposites, into tension with each other, hold them in tension without letting them fall into contradiction, and and then somehow allow then, by holding them in tension, allow the Holy Spirit in 
to create a kind of a resolution of of the tension which is beyond both but which somehow includes them now mm. when i try and put it like this it sounds like you know some sort of abstruse hegelian philosophy in fact it's he's applied this himself constantly throughout his life and he applies it to the governance of the church. So what yeah, that means yeah. is that people who often disagree strongly, he believes they can be brought together and by walking together, learning to listen to each other and understand each other, not trying to resolve the conflict, but having, as it were, the respect of listening, that in itself allows the Holy Spirit into the process. Yeah, I, I was I was going to ask you whether that, that if you felt that that was a, a driving principle in his papacy, it's certainly behind the changes that he's made to the synodal process. Um, and and he talks about dialogue a lot, but this is beyond dialogue. It's sort well, of... it, well, it, and and in fact, he says, you know, that this is what we need to learn how to do as mm -hmm. a church, as a society. Yes. So at the end of part two, he then talks about how he applies this, or it has been applied in his reinvigoration of the synods in Rome. These are the meetings of bishops that take place every two or three years in Rome, where bishops of the world gather often. Now. He, as we know from this, this papacy, there have been a number of sinners, particularly on the family and on Amazonia, which have become uh, places of, of contention. In other yes. words, there, there, there have been issues where people have radically disagreed with each other. Yes. And worry what, he, what he's doing is explaining how that process, uh, in, in creating that process and in bringing people together, that there is the possibility of a discernment which leads to the Holy Spirit helping to resolve the mm. issue. But the, the, that's the kind of the good news. <laughs> the bad news is that this is actually quite difficult. Yes. And he shows in what he says about the sins that actually that discernment has often not taken place. Yes. So he's yes. really talking about something that's very different here from a parliamentary debate, right? Or mm -hmm. a debating society where the idea is both sides, you know, as it were, one tries to defeat the other. No, no. This no, is about no. helping to forge something new out of the tension that exists. But sometimes we don't succeed. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to give the impression that, that, that the, the book is all about that because there's so much more in the in, in this book. And I do encourage people. I've been telling people that this is a book that everyone should read Catholics, non-Catholics, lover, Francis lovers and Francis haters, because I think you will you'll get to understand a little better of why he does things, why he doesn't do certain things, why he has spoken about some things and why he hasn't spoken about other things. Um, the last question I wanted to ask you, Austin. Um, so the, the 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 subtitle, Let Us Dream. The, the path to a better future. Is it the path to a better future? Is it a path to a better future? Um, what yes. is the path? Well, yeah, I mean, the path is is the path um, of uh, specifically in part three, what he outlines is how we can recover our sense of dignity as a people. And when we put, when we understand, when we grasp, because this isn't an intellectual matter, when we experience you know, a God of mercy uh, and we see that we are a gift to each other, that creation is a gift, that all is gift, and we start to organize our life around that principle, our society, our politics, our economics, then we can restore the dignity of the people. And, and we can begin to have an economy which gives people access to land, labor and lodging, which cares for the planet, a politics which mm -hmm. genuinely empowers people and so on. So I think this is, that is the path. The path is to say, how do we put fraternity and solidarity at the heart of the way we live together, rather than the myth of self-sufficiency and an mm -hmm. economy obsessed with growth and consumption. Mm -hmm. um, he sees that, I suppose, really as the key that unlocks uh, the, the 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 paths to resolving this crisis and all the other crises which it reflects. 
Right. And I would add, because it might seem for people hearing it, that it's, it sounds very secular, but it's not, it's very spiritual. Um, it's not just about making the world safer, fair, fairer, healthier, but also holier. Um, so Austin, I'm going to thank you for, for having the idea and encouraging the Holy Father to put his thoughts down. If people have not read anything else, Pope Francis has written any encyclicals you haven't read Laudato Si, it's too long. Read this book because everything is, is, is summarized in there. So um, again, Austin, thank you. Thank you for uh, spending some time with us today to tell us uh, about the book. It's good to be with you. Thank you very much. That was a conversation I had with Austin Ivory earlier this week. Austin Ivory is the Pope's biographer, and he collaborated with Pope Francis on his latest book, Let Us Dream, The Path to a Better Future, published by Simon & Schuster. If you missed any part of this conversation or to listen to the rest of the show, just head to slmedia.org slash podcast. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Miley Asbel, with her single, You Made Me. You held my hand when I was three. You made me me. Through all the years you were there, all the memories we share, you made me me. And though the page has turned, I'll take all the things I've learned. You showed me what it means to love when you came to every game. And that sometimes losing's winning We learn to play the game Yeah, you've shown me all that I can do And all that I can be This happened to me You pushed me to the finish line Even when I didn't want to try And now I'm me And though the page has turned I'll take all the things I've learned As far as I may go from here, we're still a family. took my hand and vowed to me 
He'll make me me. Welcome to new sun today, but I'm the sun that lights your days. You make me me. And though the page has turned, I'll take all the things I've learned. I'll see the things you saw in me as I watch our family grow. You'll take their hand, you'll walk with them, show them everything you know, and they'll look at you as I. To and thank you endlessly. You made me me. That was Miley Asbill with her single "You Made Me." Now, what can I say about Miley Asbill? She's 18 years old. She plays music at church. She also helps lead worship during adoration at her old youth group and for different parishes across the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. She performs at different venues as much as she can. She's been singing for as long as she can remember. She started guitar lessons when she was seven. She's been writing songs since she was eight. And she likes to write songs for special occasions and for her friends. Anyway, we've been listening to her music, and as you can hear, it's really, really good stuff. And so I'm very happy to welcome Miley Asbill to our program. Miley, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And today is December 19th. It's your birthday. Happy yes, birthday. Yes, it is. Hey, thank you so much. <laughs> How fun is that? So, and I'm sorry to keep harping. I always, you know, I, in the at, at the beginning of the show, I, I I made a point of saying that you were a teenager. I, I you probably don't think of yourself as a teenager, because 18, 19, you're an adult, but you're still a teenager. You're so young. <laughs> um, um, which is going to make this my first question a little weird because I always ask people what it was like growing up. Um, so you grew up in Cincinnati, or, or in? Uh, I grew up in Dayton. Okay. Yeah. Um, in Ohio. And uh, what was it like? Is it a Catholic family? Is it a big family? Is it a musical family? Um, it is we a Catholic family. Um, definitely not big. I just have one younger sister. Okay. Uh, she's a senior in high school right now. Um, and um, yeah, it's it's pretty. I live in Kettering, which is a suburb of Dayton. Okay. It's a pretty small town. Very strong Catholic community, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I've, I've been here my whole life. And it's, it's great. (laughs) So, so you, and you, you, how long were you playing music at church? Like, was that part of growing up as well? Yeah, for sure. I went to a, my elementary school is right down the street from me. I'd walk to school every day with my sister and every Tuesday we'd have mass and I would help play there starting in fourth or fifth grade. I would start helping to play music. And and so the school was a Catholic school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Parochial school attached to the parish. Nice. Um, and music, you started playing guitar at, when you were seven, taking lessons when you were seven. Is that something you wanted to do or your parents forced you? Yeah, I, I wanted to do it. When I was like three or four, I got like a guitar for Christmas that, you know, you just get your kid a guitar that you can bang on and stuff. But yeah. I found it in our basement covered in dust and 
um, yeah, in first grade, I was just like, that is like the one thing I would always ask for for Christmas. And really? Yeah, just really just wanted to like a real guitar that I could play. And I got one and it was like the best Christmas. <laughs> yeah. And, do you yeah. still have it? Do you still have that first guitar? I do. Yeah, yeah it's in it's in my bedroom. And uh, it's That's great. It's great. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Now you wrote your first song. Can I, I'm going to share this. I don't hope it doesn't embarrass you. you told me <laughs> that you wrote your first song when you were eight. And can I say the title of the song? It's called oh, the hot absolutely. dog and hamburger song. Mm-hmm. Can you sing it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can sing. I can sing a, a little part, part of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. My, my friends and family always, always make fun of me for it, but I like it. It's, I know I started songwriting, I guess. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So it's just like, um, I like hot dogs and hamburgers with ketchup and mustard. I like to run in, play and jump. I like to swing and slide down humps. I like to dance to a bunch of songs. So if you can just sing along and then oh, it just goes so on and on. <laughs> okay, so clearly you weren't writing song like Christian songs at that stage. <laughs> no. <laughs> When, when did you, when did you think that songwriting was part of what you wanted to do? And when did it become more of a Christian kind of songwriting? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I've never really pursued music as like a, a career. It's always uh-huh. just been something to fall back on. It's like one of the three constants in my life, like faith, family, and music. Yeah. They've just yeah. always been there for me. Um, but I would say I really got into songwriting, um, my freshman year of high school, I wrote like the theme song of our, our school kind of based off the motto, the mantra okay. of my yeah. old high school. Um, but yeah, I just have been writing for so long and music has just always been something I can fall back on. It's just something I love to do and it's just fun. And um, I really started to write Christian music um, following my sophomore year of high school. Um, just time because that's really when I experienced the love of God for myself and was like I want to make my faith part of who I am um what did something happen really just tying music into prayer became a a huge thing for me throughout high school as well did something happen in that sophomore year like what did you have a little bit of a, a conversion experience or a retreat experience or something yeah yeah so I uh I attended a Steubenville youth conference right in Steubenville Ohio yeah um my old theology teacher from freshman year took a big group of us there and I had never experienced anything like that before. And Mm -hmm. it was, it was incredible and it really changed my life. And I knew I didn't want to just write out this retreat high that lots of people tend to get. Um, I I really wanted to make it a commitment. So that's what I've been trying to do. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Now it's interesting. And you didn't mention it. You're not pursuing music you know, you're in university, you're not, you're not, you're studying to sciences, you're more of a science person, <laughs> um, uh, service, uh, not music, not theology, not, you know, ministry, you're not at the Franciscan University of Steubenville. <laughs> um, why not? You're not sort of feel drawn to, to that as a, as a career? Yeah, you know, um, I always kind of say, if the opportunity ever comes up, of course, I'm going to take it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've definitely considered it, like pursuing it, but I don't, I don't really know why. Actually, it's just always just kind of been something that's for fun and that I love and something that connects me to other people. <laughs> and when you're, when you're doing like leading worship or uh, 
I mean, I've seen videos of you on stage and it sounds like it's at like NCYC or I don't know where you were. And, and it, you're, it, it feels like you're so comfortable and you're totally in that element. Yeah. That video you saw probably was at NCYC. Was it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I competed in the talent competition there. And yeah. um, going on stage in front of lots of people, it's never really bothered me. Um, no. I kind of try to keep the nerves inside. <laughs> yeah. I, I did a lot of theater growing up. So I think right. that kind of helped me um, develop some poise on stage. But um, yeah, it's just, I know so many people love music and feel connected to different songs and stuff. And uh, I just want to be that kind of vessel that people can connect to a song. Right. Um... So you, we've been listening to some of your music. I've been saying they're all singles. You don't have an album. Is that something that you're thinking of doing or you're just going to wait and see if you have the opportunity? Uh, yeah, I would love to write an album. Um, I, I would definitely be a project I'd love to pursue. Do you have enough songs that you could put an album together now? Um, I don't know. I have about five songs, maybe an EP, but <laughs> well, I can crank out like one song a year. So oh, that's good. <laughs> maybe that's in good. a few years. Maybe in yeah. a few years. Good. Mm -hmm. Miley, great meeting you. Um, thank you for, <laughs> thank you for coming on the show. I, I love meeting new artists. Um, and, and I really like your music and your attitude. Uh, thank you so much. So I do hope that you, you're able to put together a little album and if not, doesn't matter, keep writing music and we'll keep, uh, having you on the show and see how you're doing um, with, uh, with whatever the Lord puts, uh, you know, on your, on your, on your path. Um, yeah. Again, happy birthday. Oh, thank and, you. <laughs> and, uh, and Merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas to you too. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Take care. Miley Asbill, as, as you could probably figure out, she does not have a website, but she is, you can find her and her music all over the internet on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Instagram, anywhere where you stream music. Um, just look her up, Miley Asbill. But we're going to put all those links on our website, slmedia.org slash podcast, so you can find her easily. Um, if you missed any part of our conversation or you want to listen to it again, just head to that same website, slmedia.org slash podcast. And here now then to take us out is Miley Asbill with another single, Revealed.
We're listening to Miley Asbel with her single, Revealed. And that will bring us to the end of the program this week. Remember that if you missed any part of the program, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour shows at slmedia.org slash podcast. And that's also where we post links to our artists or guests. You can also get the Salt and Light Hour as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts, so no excuses for not listening to the show. Be sure to tune in to our Christmas special next week, and the week after that will be our annual New Albums of the Year New Year's special, so be sure to tune in to find out which Catholics released albums this year and to hear some of their music. I continue to pray for all of you. I hope that you pray for us. Stay safe. Offer words of hope and comfort. Be the light of Advent for someone this year. Take care and Merry Christmas. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour.